Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Hey, Warriors. I just wanted to chime in here real quick at the beginning to remind you that we at Suncast are prioritizing inclusion and diversity among our guests. As such, this being Women's History Month, we are going to be featuring all female Suncast's guests for the month of March. Hope you enjoy and look forward to your feedback, even criticism. <laughs> look forward to your communication. Here we go. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey, welcome to a new week, Solar Warrior. Here we go. This is Two for Tuesday. Whether that's a tactical Tuesday or just content from one of our many live events like SPI Podcast Lounge, this is going to be a short form conversation, typically with subject matter experts designed to give you the practical tools, tips and advice for building your solar business or career and grow with us here on Suncast as I know you will. I'm so glad that you've decided to join us again and level up your game. Remember, you can always find the resources and learn more about today's guests and recommendations on the blog at mysuncast.com. So get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior. Here we go with another powerful conversation on Suncast. Good morning, everyone. This is Christian Rosalind, U.S. Editor at PV Magazine. I'm here with Erica Johnson, Managing Editor at PV Magazine. From Lucky to visit us from Berlin, but still... A lady from California originally. And we're joined today by Evelyn Butler of SIA and Garvin Heath of the U.S. Department of Energy's National Renewable Energy Laboratory, or as most of us know it, NREL. Uh, we're here at the Podcast Lounge, sponsored by Radiant REIT and produced by Suncast Media, and it's September 26th. Great. Well, happy to be here in Salt Lake City and really honored to have such uh, renowned guests with us today to discuss a topic that's really near and dear to PV Magazine's heart. We just started actually our Up Sustainability campaign, an initiative to work to drive sustainability throughout the industry. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Um, this is Evelyn, and I'm really excited about the opportunity to share a lot more information about the efforts that are going on, not only in the U.S., but also globally with respect to end-of-life management. Uh, PV recycling is something that our industry has been working on for um, at least four years, maybe longer, since I, I can only say four years that I've been with SIA. Um, I know Garvin himself has been very entrenched in the efforts with a lot of his other research activities. It's an area near and dear to his heart, so I'm excited to hearing more um, from him as well. We collaborate pr uh, pretty often on different things. Probably our, our biggest area that we would love to see more uh, is the data situation. So being able to forecast and model and uh, get information from what folks are doing, um, that really helps provide a basis for us to take action. Um, but in any case, SIA um, has been running a PV recycling working group for quite a long time now, where it's made up of about 12 out of the top, the global 15 module manufacturers that wow. produce a lot of the modules today. 
Um, they're very interested in um, the fact that they want to be responsible at end of life, um, even if that's 25, 30, 40 years down the road. So I think that's pretty unique for an industry. Um, and we're uh, hoping to solve the problem before it becomes a problem, I guess is the best way to put it. Right, right. And research and efforts by industry collaboratively, I think, are going to be important to that. It's a topic, like you said, is of personal passion for myself, but it's been supported by the Department of Energy, Solar Energy Technologies Office, and other uh, offices within the Energy Efficiency and Renewable Energy Office within DOE. And there are also international stakeholders that uh, I've been fortunate to work with and lead on this topic through the International Energy Agency PV Power Systems Program in a Task 12, as it's known, sustainability. Um, so looking forward to the conversation. Great, great. Uh, Evelyn, can you talk to me a little bit about this working group? What are the actions that have taken place so far and where does the, the group stand and what progress has been made? Absolutely. There are two main uh, work streams, I would say, that the, the working group is very focused on. The first of which is per evaluating and finding solutions today for the type of waste that we're seeing. The majority of it is, you know, modules that are damaged by extreme weather events. It could be manufacturing scrap. It could be uh, modules that are damaged during transportation, or maybe there was a performance defect found. Um, and the module needed to be replaced. And the manufacturers came to us and they said, you know, we don't want this waste exported. We actually want it processed here in the U.S. and in some downstream way that those product or materials reused if they can be. And so what we started was a, a process by which we vet recyclers in the U.S. to actually accept the module technology into their current processes and then actually find solutions downstream. We have six partners that we have vetted into that process today. I'm working with about four more right. um, to be more geographically diverse right now. Um, you know, they're mainly located in the Midwest. Um, and, you know, what we're hoping to do is add to that network. So, and, and it can be all activities with respect to recycling. So collection, aggregation, transport, transfer, and processing. It's uh, a pretty robust system for other types of waste in our country. And what we're hoping to do is to create one um, that serves where solar is being installed today. So that's one of the main activities of that working group. Um, and then uh, we also work on other adjunct things like how to prepare uh, modules to be recycled. Like what are the ins and outs? What do the recyclers expect? How many modules should you put on a pallet to ship? You know, how they should be protected or handled, things like that, um, to give people more uh, insight and instruction in how to actually carry out the process of recycling instead of thinking, oh, I'm just going to throw it into a container, right, and, sure. and ship it off. Um, and then the other thing that uh, the working group does is monitor a lot of the legislation that's being uh, proposed and developed today. We've worked with a lot of stakeholders, and our key there is mainly to uh, ensure that there's a balance in the legislation and policy that's uh, proposed and passed that um, provides practical, implementable ways that uh, modules can be managed at end of life and in such a way that it doesn't adversely affect all of the efforts uh, just from an energy generation perspective that we're trying to encourage, right? We we don't want solar to be discouraged because there's an end-of-life gap, right? Or it's uh, not something that folks 
uh, can install and then all of a sudden they kind of forget what to do 30 years later. So we want to provide a, a solution that, um, and to, to help the policy um, along so that it provides a more holistic perspective and one that's kind of a win-win-win for everyone. Sure, sure. And you previously mentioned working together with um, NREL and Gavin on data. What kind of data do we have surrounding end of life right now? And what, what are we seeing moving forward as potential new data points to come out to help the industry move forward in the space? I think one of the hallmarks of SIA's recycling program is the requirement that to be in the program, not only are they vetted for certain criteria of the management of the PV modules, but have to report what, how many, uh, the mass of the modules that they're processing each year. That is not yet announced, I don't think, Evelyn? No, nope, right? not yet. Not yet, yet, right? We're still working Soon. on it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for the U.S., for the first time, um, we do have some information from Europe, for instance, about um, processed uh, volumes in different countries. That's a requirement under the European Union-wide legislation of the WE. Mm-hmm. But individual countries are starting to report that, and so we do have an indication from that market about how much PV has reached end of life and is being processed through that requirement that, that they would be recycled at end of life. And it's, I think it's important to put the United States experience or where we are into perspective and for some other countries and world regions. Europe is ahead in having the requirement and is going to be ahead in providing some data. We have some useful lessons that we can learn from Europe that we sure. can bring into the U.S. There are other countries that are at a similar stage as us, I would say, uh, maybe a little bit further advanced, but still kind of figuring out what that, if there's going to be a requirement in other countries and what that requirement will look like. And so it's helpful to have the international perspective and all of us kind of working together on this because it is, with the industry having um, grown so much over the last 10 years, we're just encountering the stage now with Europe a little bit ahead of others, but encountering the stage now where we're reaching that critical volume of the end-of-life products, where we do have to take this management approach seriously. It takes a while to make capital investments and plan for those of recycling infrastructure. It takes a while to work through the process with stakeholder engagement, working with industry, working with the recyclers, working with other stakeholders to figure out what kind of process logistics and requirements there should be. All these things need to be started ahead of when we anticipate the real volumes to hit so that we're prepared. All right, Warriors. So you know that high demand charges can ruin a good commercial solar cell. But what if you could offer your clients 30% in demand charge savings at a tenth, that's right, a tenth the cost of installing a battery? You can now do that with DemandX a new demand charge reduction software from Extensible Energy. Check it out at extensibleenergy.com and read the three case studies on how DemandX significantly reduced demand charges and increased ROI without batteries. As a Suncast listener, you can also get a free demand charge analysis at extensibleenergy.com forward slash suncast. What do you have to lose? Crunch the numbers and see for yourself how Extensible Energy's inexpensive DemandX software is a win-win for you and your commercial solar clients. Hey, Warrior, I bet you're already aware of CPS America's dominance in CNI with over 30% market share. But did you realize that they also shipped 500 megawatts of utility scale 1500 volt inverters in 2019? Their unique design flexibility makes them the only company 
with the ability to eliminate DC combiners in the field. And their DC to medium voltage balance of system bundle allows for as much as 40% reduction in costs. But wait, there's more. With string inverters increasingly used in utility applications, CPS is infusing smart tech innovations to drive down costs along the value chain from DC generation to AC delivery. If you'd like to find out what other cost stack reduction CPS can bring to your C&I and utility projects, head to mysuncast.com forward slash CPS. With the United States really taking a leadership role globally in the advancement of solar and the deployment of solar energy, um, where where do we stand as far as policy and legislation is concerned? I mean, are we looking to we? Are we uh, in Europe to kind of bring that into our own standards, or what is the action that's currently taking place? And what are what are the challenges that we're facing with with getting legislation in place? Yep. Every state that has um, started to look at this, with Washington State being the first one that actually has a requirement in law right now and also implementing regulations to support that, has looked at the experience of Europe because they have already gone through actually two iteration, main iterations of a form of um, either industry-led voluntary effort at first or now a requirement um, from the European Commission. And there's only one state in the U.S. that has actually passed a law on this, but several of others have actually had proposed legislation, and a few others also have regulatory processes outside of the legislative processes. The only two other laws that are on the books now are ones that are uh, mandating commissions to study the issue further, North Carolina and New Jersey. But there are other states that are actively considering this. And in fact, NREL has been working on a report and will publish that. We hope in the next couple of months that will be a survey of all of the U.S. approaches, both the enacted legislation and regulation, as well as those that have been proposed this year and historically, so that we can get a sort of an overview of the different approaches that have been taken, the different considerations in different states, and that can help to inform then others who haven't yet taken action about, you know, about these approaches. Yeah, sure. one of the the approaches in, that have been taken in North Carolina and New Jersey that we really appreciate is the fact that it is a study that's being undertaken. Um, you know, certainly rather than rushing to a solution that may not actually contribute positively to the growth of solar in that that area, um, you know, is probably uh, what we would consider you know maybe uh, too fast, too soon, too fast. And so the opportunity for there to be a wide stakeholder conversation and a study about what should be done at decommissioning, what are the right uh, things to take into consideration, you know, how should the local environment and business come together in order to figure out um, how to develop the, the right process and, and the right um, outcomes, um, we really appreciate. Um, we've also been working really hand-in-hand um, hand with um, some of the other states that actually didn't need legislation to uh, incent them to start the conversation. And part of it is their balanced idea about the fact that they want to continue to encourage the deployment of solar in their state, but they also want to see a responsible solution for end of life. And so being able to round out that discussion with more than just policymakers or just waste professionals or just... Uh, uh, you know, industry, but having all those people in the same room at the same time talking through it and then being supported by, you know, folks like Garvin and NREL that have a lot of experience in what's happened around the world has, we think, provided a much better 
kind of hand-in-hand solution to, to coming to uh, an outcome versus, you know, outcomes being forced, I would say, upon, you know, one stakeholder versus another. Sure, sure. And it seems that that's really becoming the common theme is public discourse and continuing with stakeholder engagement as rolling out uh, things across the board through the clean energy transition. Um, Another question for you, what are you kind of seeing as the um, markets where we're seeing the largest proportions of, of recycling currently? Hmm. Um, I think that there's challenges with the residential market mm-hmm. for the lack of uh, volume at a particular location so that the shipping and handling costs, the transportation costs are much higher per unit. So where recycling is happening, I think it's with the, the large owners who uh, decide that they want to um, uh, take a responsible approach to these modules that have reached the end of life for whatever reason and for whatever determination that they've made on that. And then to go out and find themselves, Canvas, and find those solutions. It's incredibly helpful to have SIA have a network that has identified these um, uh, those offering PV recycling services so it's easier to find and locate them. But um, there is obviously still a challenge of where they're located relative to where the PV is installed. And to make one point uh, a little bit further about the markets that are maybe more challenged, right now California is a market that's um, very high for installed PV, very high for expected you know, new installations of PV, and yet is prevented from being able to recycle those modules and treat them responsibly under the current regulation regulatory scheme that they have. It's a solution that they're a problem they're addressing and trying to work towards a solution, but it's been taking a long time. And so that's one sort of stranded market, you might say, that's quite challenging for the industry. Sure. Right. I would uh, definitely say that there's challenges in, if we look at segments in terms of markets, you know, residential or CNI or utility scale, for instance. And, um, you know, based upon, you know, the information that system owners receive, regardless of which part of the market segment that they're um, a part of, um, one thing that is clear to us is that it takes a professional to install solar. It also takes a professional to deinstall solar. And so we don't think it would be the case in the future where, you know, a homeowner is going to have, you know, panels that are set out by their garbage, you know, like they do their other recycling. But we do believe that those installers are going to be the ones who are going to be able to help find the right disposition for those modules if they have to be replaced or if they they need to um, be addressed from a service perspective. So we really look at having those conversations with that part of the market segment to say, here are the solutions that are going to be available to you and the ones that we're building um, so that, and, and that would be the case regardless if it's resi or CNI or utility scale, that those folks have to be really dialed into those solutions and be able to connect with those recyclers and figure out how that fits into the overall financial model, right, of being an owner of solar. Sure, sure. Thank you. Um, and then surrounding sort of end of life, you know, that we manufacturers are typically coming up with these 25-year warranties, but there's still a lot of life left on the panels. But we're seeing in Europe that some systems are already being repowered, a lot of it having to do with incentives and, and rebates and feed and tariffs and things that are available where it makes financial sense to do this. But what do you guys, what are your kind of, what do you anticipate the end of life being for these, or what are we seeing for the end of life of 
um, module system or systems that are installed throughout the U.S.? I think any way that that we can take advantage of um, useful, uh, productive energy production from modules, even if they've reached the rest, the end of their economic useful life for that particular owner, will help the environmental impact overall of PV and help yeah. to make to minimize that. It's already uh, a solution for electricity generation that is um, by far you know low, much lower than most conventional systems course, mainly fossil-based systems. But um, the longer we can extend that useful life, then even the lower per unit of kilowatt generated that impact is for the environment. So those are things that we would like to see. It's um, challenging in every jurisdiction to figure out what the right solution will be to have a secondary life, secondary market for this. Sure. And they, we don't have, I don't think collectively, a good sense about how robust that market is. Um, how much demand there is, how much supply there is, potential supply, you know, extended and going forward in all the different markets. But it's something that um, clearly for sort of the circular economy perspective uh, and goals of the energy transition that are starting to, I think, become a lot more salient and in the consciousness of of leaders, whether it's business leaders or political leaders, this is going to be something that we need to look at for PV as well. Sure. Yeah, I would definitely agree. I think there's uh, a lot more conversation happening about um, the different channels um, for PV at end of life. And as Garvin mentioned, it could be end of economic life. Um, it could be end of useful life. It could be, you know, that there, as we just said in our uh, previous, there can be an afterlife, right, for PV. And there hasn't been probably a lot of detailed conversation about what those channels are, how can we build them, how can we incent uh, system owners as well as manufacturers to build those channels. But there's something that we definitely want to commit to in terms of how do, we, how do we match up the people who are interested in buying panels that have maybe um, been used already but still have a, a benefit, and how do we match them up with the people who are selling them. And so there are some solutions that exist today for some of that and for surplus, but we definitely need to do a lot more. Yeah, I think it's a really exciting time, and it's, there's a lot of opportunity as well with so much of the world not even having access to power. Mm-hmm. I think that our industry might be, um, and, and this issue may be transition to really helping power the rest of the world. So mm-hmm. um, thank you so much. We're out of time here. I really appreciate your time, um, Garvin and Evelyn. Really honored to have such experts with us here at the PV Magazine Takeover of Suncast Media's podcast at SPI 2019. Uh, thank you so much again for joining us, and uh, definitely reach out to CEO in regards to their working group and getting involved and in taking action. Our industry definitely has a place uh, and role to take in this in the energy transition and future circular economy. And look for some more work coming out from Menrail with Evelyn's support also in the near future. We'll have some more publications on this topic to look out for. Great. And definitely send it to PV Magazine. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Take care. All right. That's a wrap on today's conversation, Solar Warriors. But I do hope that you'll check out the other Two for Tuesday episodes and let me know what you think of these shorter format discussions. You want more like this? You can find more than 200 episodes, resources, highlights from the discussions, along with social media links to each guest episode, book recommendations, and so much more over on the blog at mysuncast.com. 
And that's also where you'll find other ways to engage with the Suncast tribe, like subscribing to our weekly emails or even joining the exclusive inner circle we affectionately refer to as the Guild. If you're on Spotify or iTunes, I so appreciate your rating and review so that others can also find Suncast more easily. A special thank you to our sponsors who help make this podcast possible. You can learn more about them at mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor. Follow the links there for any offers we've discussed here today. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle. <laughs>